Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at How Stuff Works. And sitting next to me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Come with me if you want to live. Oh no! You so, went there, did you? I did already. We're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about cyborgs. And I, first of all, I would like to apologize to the anonymous listener out there who sent me the request that we do an episode about cyborgs. I did a search because I, I know I had seen it, but I did a search in my email and could not find that request. So to whomever it was that sent that request, I apologize, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy what we have to tell you. All right, then. So where should we start? Well, let's let's start by defining what a cyborg is. That's good, because the first thing I had was the definition from Merriam-Webster. Which Hit says, me with it. Uh, <laughs> a cyborg is a bionic human, which really didn't tell me anything. So I had to look up bionic because I figured that would give me a clue. And right. uh, they do say that bionic means 
quote, having normal biological capability or performance enhanced by, or as if by, electronic or electromechanical devices, end quote. So basically, a biological person who is enhanced in some way by technology. Interesting. Uh, when I did a search for a, a good definition of cyborg, the first thing I got was cybernetic organism, which, like your definition, does not help you out a whole lot. <laughs> Um, however, cybernetics is a study of human control functions and of mechanical and electronic systems designed to replace them, mm-hmm. involving the application of statistical mechanics to communication engineering. So really, cybernetics is more than just uh, just computers or computing systems. It's also biology, um, neuroscience, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you're curious as to where the word cybernetics comes from, it has a Greek origin uh, meaning terminator. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It means helmsman or steersman. Hmm, okay. So someone, someone who uh, who pilots a ship. Okay, then. You know, it's funny because you're all Terminator, but when I started thinking of cyborgs, I was thinking more along the lines of the six million dollar man or the bionic woman. Right. Uh, or, well, you know, even even Neuromancer or clearly, the Matrix. Clearly. The six million dollar man is science fiction because there's no way you'd be able to build that sucker for six million dollars. Well, this was the 1970s, right? Well, that's true. Six million dollars then was about thirty trillion dollars. <laughs> so, um, but somebody's going to write in and go, "No, it's not." So, cybernetics—that was a term that was introduced by uh, Norbert Wiener, okay. or Wiener, if you prefer. I, I yeah, that, that appeared in 1948. Okay, All so right. uh, let's talk a little bit about. No, is is cyborg really within just the realm of science fiction, or is this reality? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's it's reality, but the reality is not nearly as exciting and fun as uh, science fiction makes it seem. I think it all depends upon the particular uh, cybernetic application you're talking about mm-hmm. and the purpose for that application. Because for some fair. people, I would say that that cybernetics and cyborg uh, studies in particular are incredibly interesting, mm-hmm. mainly because a lot of people are regaining use of certain senses or limbs uh, that they, they may not otherwise be able to use due to uh, cybernetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we can talk a little bit. Do I, well, how did you want to think talk about this? Uh, um, well, you know, I, I, I did a lot of my research on a recent article All right. written for the site. You know, will we ever be able to communicate with only our minds? Oh, yeah. I, I'm familiar with that yes, article. Yes. Well, I mean, um, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, this is something that uh, Jonathan wrote about just a few days ago. And as a matter of fact, as we are speaking, it hasn't actually been published on the site, but probably will be by the time that you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's fascinating because, uh, you know, the idea that we would be able to communicate with our minds, you know, the idea was... You know, telepathic communication. Right. As it turns out, it's more like, can you find some kind of technology that will help you do that? And the answer is yes. Yeah. uh, You know, if you're going by the strictest definition, uh, can we communicate with only our minds? The answer is really no, because we we do need something in addition to our own minds in order to transmit the thought to someone else. Um, But we're actually making progress in doing that, and it's all because of what we call brain-computer interfaces. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's an interface that allows you to control or input data into a computer using your brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of these use EEGs, 
Um, they, these, those League. are the, yeah, the sensors you see that are hooked up to strategic points upon your noggin. Uh, it, de- <laughs> they detect the electric impulses in your brain and can interpret those impulses. You know, w- we've studied the brain enough to know, hey, when you think lift my left arm, this area of your brain lights up. When you think lift my right arm, this area of the brain lights up. So by doing that, even though we don't technically understand all of the mechanics behind it, mm-hmm. we know enough where we can build a computer interface system to kind of take advantage of that. Now, this is in its most primitive form right now. Mm-hmm. There's really not uh, – we haven't reached a point where you can put on you know, your thinking cap to, to, for lack of a better word, and have someone else put a similar cap on, and then you think, hey, I'm hungry. Would you like to go get some pizza? And then the other person receives that thought and can understand it. We're not there yet. Uh, the experiment that I wrote about within that article was fascinating, mm-hmm. but in, uh, it involved uh, actually thinking, I want to lift my left arm or I want to lift my right arm. Right. The computer would receive the electri- electric signals that were zapping around in the uh, subject's brain yeah and could interpret that and so if you you know i didn't don't have the article in front of me but i think left arm was a zero and right arm was a one i think so so if the subject thought i'm going to lift my left arm the computer interpreted it as a zero if the subject thought i'm going to lift my right arm the computer interpreted it as a one the computer then sent this series of zeros and ones to a second machine that mm-hmm. was in a remote location and that would interpret it as, you know, it, it would get a zero or a one. It would then send a series of signals to a, uh, a lamp, an LED lamp. Yeah. Which would flash in a, a very, very fast series of flashes, depending on whether it was a zero or a one. It was two different series, but it was such a almost random looking and quick series of flashes that humans wouldn't be able to say, oh, that was a zero or that was a one. They would just mm-hmm. see, oh, that was a lot of flashes. Oh, that was a different, slightly different set of flashes. Um, well, the brain is enough, can, can actually record, you know, what the different series of flashes are. You're not conscious of it, but your, your brain is picking it up. And by wearing, by the subject B wearing a, an EEG setup, uh, the EEG would detect the signals in the brain that said, hey, this is the series of flashes that lit up. That means that it was a zero mm-hmm. or that means it was a one. And so without using any kind of keyboard or anything, subject one could send a series of zeros and ones to subject two or subject A and B, I think is what I said originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you and the subject B would receive them now. You're not, again, you, you would need a separate, a third computer really mm-hmm. to interpret those brain signals so that subject B knows what kind of message they got. Right. It would almost be like if I wrote to you using a language that you weren't familiar with, you could read it, but you have no idea what the meaning is. Right. You sure. would have to have something translated. Mm-hmm. So we're not quite to the point yet where we can send an actual thought and have someone consciously understand it but the progress has been remarkable yeah yeah actually in an, another um not exactly similar vein but um i read an article in in wired magazine by clive thompson uh and it's it was about what he was calling the cyborg advantage and mm-hmm. this makes it this is kind of you know the title's way sexier than the, the content but it's about chess actually and um you remember gary kasparov Oh yeah, you know, who uh, who 
you know, beat and then lost to uh, the IBM computer Deep Blue. Yes, yes. He he won, I think, in 96 and then in a rematch in 97 lost in a series of six games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, according to Thompson's article, he's been working on a, a situation in which he pairs computers and humans because – Basically, the humans know how to make sense of the computer decision. So it's like playing chess with a laptop and you, you, um, you make the laptop your partner and you say, okay, well, you know, the other, the other player just made this move. What do you think, computer? The computer says the logical move is to do this. And the human can either accept that decision and play that piece or say, you know what? I have the feeling he's up to something. And I'm gonna, I'm not gonna make that move. I'm gonna make this move. And so he, uh, you know, the, the other player is able to, you know, make a decision based on the computer intelligence. It's, it's sort of like, you know, it actually kind of reminded me of meteorologists going, well, you know, the computer models say. Right, right. Um, but basically there was a, uh, there was a 2005 tournament in which basically anything went. So it was possible to participate in this tournament as a computer human pairing. And uh, there were a couple 20-somethings with an off-the-shelf PC, essentially, mm. uh, who did better than the really, you know, like the grandmasters of chess or, you know, the heavy-duty computer models. Hmm. And so uh, basically the, the two of them were stronger than a computer or a really talented chess player. Um, so, you know, I don't know how scientific that is, but it's it's an interesting thought to think, you know, maybe the augmentation of a human with computer technology, uh, you know, is a nice balance in between the two. That's actually, uh, that reminds me a lot of what Professor Kevin Warwick, uh, talks about in his, in his various papers and, and experiments that he's performed. Um, he's a professor at the Cybernetics Institute at the University of Reading in mm-hmm. the UK. And. Yeah, you mentioned him in your article. Right. And Warwick, um, he's actually, he, he was known for, uh, doing some things that some people have kind of called stunts, but he was sort of using them as a way, of, a proof of concept for yeah. um, for a cybernetic cyborg future. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in 1998, he did this experiment where he had a doctor implant a um, essentially an, uh, an RFID chip in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chip would allow him to walk through the laboratory and do things like open doors and turn on lights and whatever without... Uh, without actually having to move a muscle because it just detected the chip and then mm-hmm. the, the system reacted. Now, this really has limited use when you think about it. I mean, the risks yeah. you're taking by having something implanted in your body just to turn on lights, that seems like that's not really a, um, a good use of your time. I mean, most of us can achieve this by carrying around a little card that has a chip in it. That doesn't require surgery. <laughs> True. But he was True. doing this as a proof of concept. Sure. And sure. um I don't think it's still in him. I think he's I think in every single case he's had the, the various things removed after the experiment was over. You know, uh also, just a side benefit of that, if he runs away from home, they'll be able to track him down. Yeah. So uh in two thousand two <laughs> he had uh, a one hundred electrode array surgically implanted into his um left arm. Yes. And this allowed him to plug it into a uh uh it would kinda look like this this plastic collar almost that would mm-hmm. that would close around his arm. Um it looked very much like a sort of Star Trek kind of device. And uh some wires would attach to the the plastic collar around his arm mm-hmm. and he would be able to do things like control robotic hands yeah. uh, remotely 
And uh, what was happening was that, you know, your nervous system works through electrical impulses. Mm-hmm. Like we, we were talking about in the brain. Well, the same is true all throughout your nervous system. Mm-hmm. So you you are a walking electrical being, um, yes. at least as far as your nervous system is concerned. So by pairing the, these electrodes with the nerve endings in his arm, he was able to send electric signals through his nervous system, uh, which the, the computer could interpret as, oh, this means open the robotic hand. This means close the robotic hand. And to keep it simple, they pretty much kept it the same as opening and closing his own hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that meant that it showed that you could control uh, various uh, mechanical devices through your own nervous system. Now, granted, this is not a brain computer interface. This is this is nerve computer interface. Right, right. That's so. Yeah, it seems like that would be much simpler to organize Com- compared to a brain computer interface. It is much simpler. However, it's still incredibly complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course you have lots of things to worry about. I mean, to whenever you're surgically implanting foreign materials into a human body, there are a lot of different things you have to worry about, like infection, rejection, that kind of thing. I have to worry about rejection every day of my life. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, so that's a sidebar. The, um, <laughs> he then went on to have another interesting experiment where his wife had a similar, slightly more, uh, primitive implant in, in, put into her arm mm-hmm. and then the two were connected. Yeah. I wonder how he talked her into that. Um, I don't know. I could never talk my wife into doing something like that. <laughs> uh, she'd be like, yeah, whatever. Um, but, but at any rate, the way the, the connection worked was that whenever his wife opened or closed her hand, he would get a, an impulse through his nervous system and would, he said, feel a pulse. He mm-hmm. did not really define how it felt. So I'm really curious to, as to what kind of sensation is he talking about? Like, how did he perceive? I, I know that he did perceive, or at least he claims to have perceived, uh, his wife opening and closing her hand. And that mm-hmm. seems like it's an easy enough thing to test. Yeah. You know, you could keep them both separate. And as long as the connection was good, um, you know, just have him indicate whenever she opened or closed her hand. And if it matched up, then, you know, all right, there's something there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, he did not go into how, what it felt like. Right. So I don't know what his actual perception was. But this was another way of saying, hey, you know, maybe we'll get to a point where, again, we'll be able to communicate. Actually, they could theoretically, at least she could communicate to him remotely just through Morse code by opening and closing her hand. But, um, yeah, that's clearly the connection is 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 robust enough to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how good that connection was, like mm-hmm. how far away they could be from each other or if it was through the internet connection or, or anything like that. That I got the least amount of information about that particular um, experiment. Yeah. yeah. But Warwick's point is that cybernetics can give us a lot of enhanced abilities that we otherwise would never have access to. So not just the ability to communicate remotely, which is phenomenal, but imagine being able to tap into the network of information on the Internet mm-hmm. through your brain. Yeah, that that again sort of reminds me of like the Matrix and Neuromancer where, you know, you plug something in and suddenly you have access to all this information, either right. stored. Well, in those cases, more like uh, like an ebook where you can, you know. Just to have access to that without being connected to the internet. Now, what, yeah. what's interesting here is you would, you would remember things. It's mm-hmm. like memory, right? Like you would be able to say, huh, when was, you know, uh, when was the Magna Carta signed? And right. then you access the internet through your brain and like, oh, it's 1215. But 
No, it's not. It's a three. Oh, oh. <laughs> the year it. 1215. Got it. King John, Magna Carta. Work with me here. <laughs> so, um, but, but yes, you could, you could recall facts, but you wouldn't necessarily be smarter. You would just remember a lot more stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, it would sort of be like the uh, the chess versus, uh, you know, the chess situation where the computer is acting on logic and right. knows, you know, this is a logical move. It, you know, in the past, many people have used this and in the in the end result was a win. Yeah. But 72 like percent of the time that people use this move, they went on to win the match. Yeah, kind of exactly. And and, you know, the human is using intuition and is able to use human intelligence to make sense of that information. Right. So, you know. Having the opportunity to use that information from, you know, downloaded online, but you're right. You wouldn't be able to do anything other than just simply know the fact. You might win a lot of Jeopardy games. Right, but you wouldn't be able to, let's say, uh, you needed to, to look up a particular, um, uh, formula for some sort of mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. You might be able to find the formula, but that doesn't mean you would understand it. Right. Right. So oh, there's absolutely. there's that barrier there. Now, that's not to say that there wouldn't be other developments, cybernetic developments that would allow you to have much more, say, processing power in your brain as well, mm-hmm. where maybe you don't have to understand it. You've got the computer working there, which Warwick's point was that frees up your brain to do other things like mm-hmm. create poetry or, you know, watch The Simpsons. At any rate, uh <laughs> Other ways you could enhance it, not just not just through being able to access information, mm-hmm. but to sense things that human beings are unable otherwise to sense, like ultrasonic frequencies or uh, light that's outside of the visible spectrum. Right. You know, you would be able to maybe create a cybernetic implant that would allow you to uh, see x-rays. Provided, of course, your eyes are capable of seeing them. Well, again, why would it have to be an eye? You could build a sensor. Oh, that's an let's, interesting like, point. let's say that you don't do it through your eyes. Let's say that you have a sensor placed somewhere else on your body that, you know, it, we think of it as seeing. I see what you're saying. But it doesn't necessarily have to be seeing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Warwick's point is that we, we already think in such a narrow set of parameters that cybernetics really goes, blows all that out of the water. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you become this machine or slash human that's capable of sensing, uh, you know, a significant more information about your environment and even be able to interpret it more because you could tap into say the internet remotely. Mm-hmm. Now this this raises a lot of ethical problems. I sense us treading closer to the singularity with this conversation. Yeah, it does kind of get it definitely goes to that same sort of area. Uh but one of the ethical issues is who is able to to do this? Mm-hmm. Should they should they do it? Right. And if they can do it and they want to do it, what does that mean for the people who either cannot do it or don't want to? Are they left behind? Do we become two different species of creatures? Because you would have the cyborgs who would suddenly have access to all this information and sensory uh, information that otherwise they wouldn't have. And the rest of us would just be bags of meat. <laughs> the best kind of sneeches are sneeches without. Yeah. So there you go. Like – you know, these are questions we don't have answers to. Right. I mean, for one thing, the technology is nowhere near there yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, some might argue that, hey, since we can't do it yet, why are we why are we wasting time worrying about it? But my point is, it's better to think about these things ahead of time before they become a real issue. Yeah. You know, and then, and it may turn out that this is one of those things where science leaps far ahead of 
uh, ethics or the law, and it only becomes a problem, you know, or it be- it becomes a problem, and then we address it, as opposed to let's think about this now and try and address it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, you were about to say. Well, no, I was going to say that you know it hasn't stopped it from becoming a reality in other circumstances. Very good, yeah, that's uh, true. You know, but there's just not again as as flashy um, as, yeah. as those experiments that we were we were just discussing. I mean, things like you know Barney Clark's first artificial heart, you know, right. that was a, a technological uh, advancement or a pacemaker, for example, is mm-hmm. an electronic device uh, that is implanted in somebody to uh, to help people monitor their heart rhythms and, and make them more regular. Um, yeah, there's some really phenomenal uh, technology that's already in fairly common use out there yeah. that um, that really kind of falls right into this cyborg uh, category. I, I mentioned cochlear implants earlier. That's yeah. definitely oh, yeah. something uh, that would fit. So a cochlear implant, that's a an electronic device, and it's designed to help people who have severe hearing loss or who are even deaf um, – be able to perceive sound. Mm-hmm. Now, they're perceiving it differently than the way people who have normal hearing would perceive it. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same thing. A cochlear implant, it has a, a microphone, so that's what's picking up the sound from the environment. Um, it usually has a, a speech processor, which kind of helps arrange that sound to, to help the listener make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the, the transmitter sends signals to an electrode array, which sends the impulses to various regions on the auditory nerve. So you're getting the signals sent directly to the auditory nerve. It's not passing through the the regular organs of the ear, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so people who have cochlear implants can actually perceive sound. Again, it's not exactly the same kind of sound that we perceive, but with training, they can completely hear and be able to hold conversations and uh, differentiate different sounds. It's just, it's, it's almost impossible to really, like, I can't, I can't compare the two because clearly, I, I mean, I just have normal hearing. I don't have a cochlear implant, so I couldn't tell you what the differences are. Like, I couldn't give you any kind of meaningful description between the two. But it is, right. uh, it is a, a common, well, not common might not be the right word, but it is in use. It is not uncommon. Yeah, it's not. It's not like there's only three people walking right. around experimentally. I mean, there are thousands of these, mm-hmm. um, and it's really revolutionized that. You know the way we treat people who have severe hearing loss. Yeah, but it's not like people are walking around like Victor Stone from the Teen Titans, otherwise known as Cyborg, who has you know detachable hands that you can refit with lasers to fight bad guys with. So no cochlear implants don't do that. Well, no, I'm just saying it's not flashy or showy or something like that where uh, you have a lot of that going on. Well, and then there's um, did you read up on bionic eyes? Bionic eyes. Yeah, cybernetic eyes. No, actually, well, I mean, six million million dollar man had one. Right. Uh, <laughs> so this is not as flashy as that either. No, exactly. So the the current the current state of the cybernetic eye, it's it's still really fascinating. But it's one of those things where when you hear the term, you immediately kind of imagine what it must be like. Mm-hmm. And chances are, your imagination is already jumping leaps and bounds of, of yeah, beyond the technology. Yes, yeah. exactly. So currently, the the state of cybernetic eyes, it's usually a, a system that involves a, a pair of glasses that the uh, the the sight impaired person wears, and there are cameras. Mounted All onto right. the the glasses, mm-hmm. so the cameras are the one things that are picking up the images, uh, sending signals to um, a, a transmitter, which then transmits it to a, a, a an implant. Um, there's actually an implant that is surgically attached to the the rear of the retina, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that sends the signals to the the uh, visual cortex of the brain. So you're basically bypassing your biological eyes. Yeah, you're using the eye as a lens, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Or well, no, you're not. You're using the the camera as a lens, but the eye. Yes, you're the you're essentially saying, okay, well, the eyes are not working the way they should. Right. You've got the the kind of a, a bionic retina mm-hmm. attached to the back of the eye. So yes, you are bypassing the normal, mm-hmm. um, the normal eyes. And you don't really get an image the way we think of images. You get a difference of light or dark, mm-hmm. and it's made up of just a few dozen pixels. Right. So really, it's good for detecting light environments, dark environments, and motion. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't really have a lot there to, to really be able to recognize actual shapes, or at least not, not really distinctly. I mean, with training, people who have these uh, have been able to recognize certain shapes, but it takes a while because it is, it, it's not a very uh, high resolution picture. In fact, it's about as low resolution as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the hope is that maybe in the future you would be able to develop this, not you, Chris, because you've got other things to do, but that scientists <laughs> would be able to develop this to the point where people who were using them would be able to recognize faces or perhaps even read large print books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we're well away from that right now, yeah. but, but there's a lot of work going into it. And it also sounds a little bit like uh, some of the work that Dean Kamen has been doing. Right. Uh, like we the talked arm. about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we talked about that in a previous podcast. Right. That was last year. Yeah, we talked about that was a focus on Kamen. We haven't done a focus on a very long time. Yeah. We'll but, have to uh, do that at some point. But he's been working with uh, with cybernetics and, and uh, ways to create artificial limbs that are basically respond to uh, you know nerve impulses and, and get people to move. And he's been very successful as far as designing the limbs and and having them be uh, you know a good weight and have a lot of articulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, less successful with the nerve interface. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been using other interfaces in the meantime while while they the scientists have been trying to perfect the nerve. Uh, device interface. Right. So things like, uh, you know, foot pedals that are in, that you wear in your shoes and mm-hmm. you, you use your toes to actually, you know, control the arm. Interesting. So you can make the wrist turn or, or the fist open or close just by moving your toes a certain way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the goal, of course, is that eventually you would be able to implant, uh, wires within a, the nervous system and be able to control the arm without having to use some other, like, extra, control system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of other issues that I, I think of when it comes to cybernetics and cyborgs. It's not just, you know, should we do it? I, I think of things like my electronics tends to break down. Yeah. I would well, hate for my eye to stop working. Well, I mean, it, but for a lot of people, it does. I mean, you know, it's, well, it's, you know, biological tissue can break too. Biologically, it can. And, and you might even argue that, hey, Jonathan, if your eyes were mechanical, you could have them fixed. Whereas when they're biological, that may not be an option. And yeah, you got you got a good argument there. I'm just saying I don't want to be like, you know, piloting my flying car while I get the blue screen of death over both eyes. Now I'm not saying that my eyes would necessarily be running Windows 12, but who knows? <laughs> it's an interesting thought, though. Well, and, and I mean, I do. It, there are other things you got to worry about. Like I said, the, with the just the whole 
introducing any kind of foreign object into the body, there are all these concerns you have to have that mm-hmm. are that go beyond just the ethical implications. I mean, there are actual like you know biological health implications as well. But um, not yeah, to mention uh, all the lead that would be in the soldering for that. Right. Yeah. Anyway, well, moving on then. I, I think uh, I think this was a good discussion about cyborgs. So, yeah. yeah, I think we're on our way to seeing at least a variation of the cyborg in science fiction sure. become a reality. Sure, it may not be quite as sexy as uh, the Terminator. No, probably not. At least not in the short run. No, but, but uh, you know, Skynet's coming, so don't worry, guys. All right. Well, I guess that pretty much wraps up this discussion. If any of you have any comments, questions, suggestions, things like that, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And we have articles on the website right now that cover things from bionic eyes to cochlear implants uh, and con- being able to communicate telepathically with yes. the use of computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that'll be up by the time this, this episode goes live. So you should check that out. Remember, that's HowStuffWorks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico, Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.